Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast, bi-week edition number two. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Brian Christofferson. Michael Brunts, gentlemen, uh, are you taking full advantage of your bye week? What have you been doing the last two days? We'll start with you, Brunts. Well, I, I've been putting off uh, raking the yard, and I did that yesterday. And today, there's like 45-mile-an-hour winds. And my neighbor's tree is just like crapping leaves everywhere uh, again. So hoping for good weather uh, over the weekend to do another pass with the rake. This is, uh, it's getting a little ridiculous. Hmm. I've been trying to get a Popeye's chicken sandwich and I haven't succeeded yet. <laughs> and uh, I've been watching uh, some Netflix. So I was watching some West Wing, kind of going old school, circa, you know, 2000 uh, last night. So that's, that's where I'm at. Popeye's and uh, old uh, TV shows from 20 years ago. Does uh, does West Wing strike you as a particularly innocent show now when you consider the problems that they were facing in 2000 versus, you know, 2019? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a little different, uh, the, the climate uh, that's being taken on. I like the walk and talk that's featured in uh, West Wing where Aaron Sorkin has his characters always with their snappy dialogue and they're walking, you know, through the offices and stuff. I, I, I feed off that. So that's, that's, that's why I needed that in my life. <laughs> Well, that's snappy dialogue. Yeah, Come I like on. it. I, uh, I, I mean, I'm with you. I, I like that show. It's significantly better than the newsroom. I don't know oh, if you've ever watched that. Was that. A, that was a horrible show. Yeah, that was horrible. That was, that, was, that was Sorkin going to Sorkin is what that was. But uh, anyway, I digress. All right. Well, we, we covered Nebraska-Purdue in the third shift. Uh, obviously, there's still more that we can uncover from that game. But as Nebraska goes into this bye week, uh, Brian Brunch, you guys had an opportunity to go over, listen to Scott Frost today. Did you get a sense of any sort of changes or anything? Or, or what was kind of the mood from Scott Frost when he spoke on Wednesday? I'll be interested to hear what Brunch says. Um, it was sort of, I got sort of a stay the course vibe from Frost, and I'm sure he knows there's a lot of dialogue about his QB situation and he should do this around the goal line and do all this stuff differently and all that is out there. Uh, but he didn't really partake in that so much when given questions that would lead him to do that. Uh, when it came to the quarterback play, um, his, his exact quote was, I don't want to talk about the depth chart or anything like that. Adrian did some really good things needs to play better. We missed some wide open guys Saturday and that can't happen. I don't much know how much of that has to do with his health, but the other guys are playing really well. So um, he didn't answer if the gap is closer, uh, but he did say Adrian's got to, got to step it up a little bit. Um, it's, it's, and beyond that, there was some red shirt talk. Um, I think there's a little confusion with Ramir Johnson. He mentioned that he had only played in two games and uh, we have him charted for three games after playing a snap. So, um, you know, I, I, I just don't think he, uh, he was going to get too detailed uh, publicly with what they're doing behind closed doors. It'll, it'll be interesting. He, he talked, you know, there were some big, big picture questions, which I think is probably natural at this point in the season. But uh, you know, Frost didn't really go down that road, wanted to wait till after the season to talk about that stuff. And I'll be fascinated, you know, when we kind of have that 
it feels like it's always like the the uh, national signing day press conferences where some of those kind of topics get addressed. But um, I, I think he was asked today, you know, whether they're changing anything about the way they go about things based on you know the fact that they're kind of struggling right now, and he kind of bristled at the question a little bit. Um, but you know, I, I don't know that there was a ton of new ground covered. I mean, I, I don't think that, um, based on what he said today, that, that Adrian Martinez was in much danger of, of being pulled from that game against Purdue, which I think has been a topic of conversation on our message board uh, quite a bit over the last few days. So, you know, it's we'll, we'll see how they come out of this bye week. It's rare you get two in the middle of the season. They're kind of close together, but I, I don't think you're going to see you know, a, a ton of drastic changes for the last three games of the season based on what Scott Frost said today. Yeah. Uh, Cam Taylor Britt was, had pads on. Uh, Darian Daniels did not. Wandale did not. I think they're just, Wandale I think is going to be fine. But D- Darian Daniels is going to be an interesting guy to watch because he was really banged up at the end of that Purdue game. And obviously going against the team they're going against after the bye in Wisconsin and then with Iowa in the wings, uh, he's got to be healthy, I think. Um, so that that that's something to watch for. He was also asked about recruiting if he thought the struggles on the field were going to make it tougher, and he was pretty pretty. I thought he was the strongest uh, in his answer on this topic, where he said not at all, and he was kind of defiant that people see where this is going. We're not going to lose sight of that. So um, yeah, they, I I wouldn't say we we traveled anywhere real different with the with it today but you know then people are tired of the talking anyway right so i guess i don't know (laughs) i don't know what they what they wanted to hear exactly yeah that's always uh that's always difficult people want to know what changes are happening but they don't want to hear anyone speak so uh really tough to kind of figure out how that all works but i i've got a question for you guys and i've been trying to ponder it in my head over the last couple days and i really haven't come up with a great answer and so maybe maybe one of the two of you will have somebody that I've forgotten about. But who's a player that played a vital role for Nebraska in 2018 that's still on the team in 2019 and you think has dramatically improved that isn't Lamar Jackson? Hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm kind of going through the list a little bit. I, I because, think, and, and I can give you guys some time as I kind of talk through my own process on this is I think one of the damning things right now for Nebraska is that you have some guys that played for you last year that you expected were going to take steps forward, and we haven't really seen it to a large degree. I mean, I I think of a guy like Caleb Tanner, who I felt like had to play last year out of necessity, but was going to be able to channel that experience and be better this season. We haven't seen a ton out of Caleb Tanner. I mean, he's had flashes. He had a couple plays. I think it was the Illinois game where he had a sack or two while being held. Colorado, I think he was really involved. But for the most part, it doesn't seem like we've seen sort of the development progress that you, you kind of hope for. And I, I don't mean this to say that these guys can't develop. I mean it to say that when you start to look through some of the issues going on with this season right now, it's that there hasn't been that steady progress that you hope to get from guys that are freshmen to sophomores, sophomores to juniors, juniors to seniors. There are guys like Lamar Jackson who you can tell are clearly better players. But we saw him emerge late last season as a guy that was better. I just struggle to come up with, you know, 
the Davis twins are playing better, but are they better than they were last year? Significantly? I don't know. Uh, you know, Adrian is not better. We haven't, none of the wide receivers are better. Austin Allen, who we all bought tons of stock in, uh, you can't even tell if there's much of a difference between last year and this year. So I guess I, I'm just struggling to see if there's a player or two that I forgot or if you guys are along the same lines that I am with that. Yeah, I, th- I think you've got to parse it a little bit to kind of pick guys out. I One of the guys that I was going to say was Khalil Davis. I, I think he's playing more consistently at a higher level than he was last season. I thought last season he started really fast and then he kind of disappeared a little bit. Um, he's one that comes to mind. I mean, when you talk about in terms of just consistency and, and what he means to the defense. I mean, I think Markel Dismuke would be a guy that I'd put uh, along that category. I mean, when you you look at you know what he's doing from basically calling the defense for the back half and the secondary, I mean, he's doing almost all of that back there. It's not divided up by sides. So those are those are two that came to mind. Um, I, you're, you're right. I mean, uh, you're not seeing that kind of gradual improvement from a lot of those guys, and especially on the defensive side of the ball. That's where um, you, you notice it most because it, it's veteran guys. Maybe JoJo Doman, I mean, the, that might be more of a product of him just being out there right. more. But well, and I, I think that there's guys like Colin Miller and Will Honus and JoJo Doman and Markel Dismuke are giving you more, but they're also playing significantly more than they did in 2018. Yeah, I, I I don't disagree with anything you guys said. I was actually looking while you're talking at our most indispensable Huskers list in the summer, and it's kind of interesting to go through it. Like number ten, we had Diedrich Mills, nine Boodle, eight Jackson, seven Doman, six was Farniok. Um, then we had Deontay Williams, JD, J.D. Spielman, Brendan Hymas, Muhammad Barry, Adrian Martinez. If you go through all those names, uh, J.D. Spielman is having a good year. Uh, I mean, you can't complain about that. But I, I look at, I highlight Hymas and Farniok. Um, have they gotten noticeably better this season compared to last? I don't think. No. I don't think you would say that. Uh, Boodle has had some fine moments, and I think in a way it's tough to at times judge him off of what the various way things have broken down. Um, so I'm not going to say he's, he's any worse or anything, but he still hasn't, you know, claimed his first interception or anything like that yet. Um, and the, yeah, the rest of the list, it's just kind of, eh, it's staying in, staying in place at, at best. And then the Deontay Williams loss, I mean, that was huge. And then, you also factor in a guy like who doesn't even play, like Tyron Ferguson. I mean, all off season, I think a lot of us were convinced. Okay, this is a really sharp guy. When you talk to him, he he seemed to get something out of the times he played last season. You thought he would be a starter, and he's just not. He's not in the mix at all, really, this year uh, for various reasons. So uh, you know, stuff like that. Just uh, you kind of shake your head a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I just wanted to to kind of throw that out there because I I think a lot of us uh, in this profession, I mean, we were completely wrong where Nebraska was going to be this year. And you, uh, round of applause from Tori there. He completely agrees. He does. 
Yeah, this is amateur hour. Oh, man. The dogs of this podcast are just always trying to get involved. It's like they think it's going to lead to some sort of starring role in something else. It never does. It never does. Um, I, I was just saying, I think we're all trying to figure out various ways where Nebraska hasn't moved forward with this program. And I, I just, you know, it's never just one thing, but that, that is certainly a large one to me is it doesn't feel like guys have made steps as players. They've either stayed the same or they've regressed a little bit. And that's hard for your program to have forward momentum when that's happening, especially when you were coming off of a four and eight season in the first place. I mean, are we at the point where it's fair to question, you know, if Nebraska is at some kind of like mental block as a program when it comes to just like closing out games, BC had that stat, on Sunday about, you know, the, the the number of games in the last two years that Nebraska's had a chance to close things out and just hasn't done it. I mean, it, it's at some point you would hope that that would revert to the mean a little bit. But, you know, it, it feels like in those situations, and, and Purdue was another example of this, where there was a little bit of inevitability to it. And that Purdue game felt like the Northwestern game last year, which felt like, the Colorado game last year that, you know, the, and maybe this is, you know, part of the same theme as well of, of guys not getting better individually, but you know, at some point you need somebody, anybody to make a play in a game and it's, and it's just not happening. And I, until Nebraska kind of gets over that hump and then somebody does, I mean, it, it just, it feels like you're just spinning your tires. And I think that's a big reason why in year two, it's, uh, you know, it, it feels like there's less forward momentum than what you had a year ago when you, you came off that field at Ohio State feeling pretty good about things. So I had Jay Moore on the recruiting hour on Monday, and we talked about this kind of thing exactly. And he basically said that, I mean, from what he can tell from just watching it, especially late in games like that, he feels like the defense plays really tight because guys mentally go to a space where, they focus on, okay, I'm just going to do my job, and if I do my job okay, that's going to be enough, and somebody else is going to step up and make a play, and eventually you end up with 11 guys who are just trying to sort of do their job without actually playing defense, and he thinks they become really tentative uh, when he when he watches them. And All of this, I think, is you don't have to be Jay Moore to come to that conclusion, but when you've got a guy who's played professionally and played with Nebraska and you know, he's talking about these things. Basically, he said there's nothing Nebraska was doing schematically at the end of that game that was causing them problems. It was individual breakdowns or it was guys being afraid to get exposed so they weren't doing more than just the bare minimum. And when you have 11 guys on defense doing the bare minimum, an offense can move the ball pretty easily without having to do a whole lot. And I think that kind of speaks volumes to where they are mentally. And he said it's a really tough block to get over because you just sort of feel like you're going to to fail unless someone makes a play and you're not confident enough that you're going to make the play. So you're just hoping that one of the other 10 guys on the field is going to make the play. And we know that's not the way Nebraska wants to play defense. And we also know the same defense that showed up in the first four or five possessions of that game for Purdue is out there. And yet, in the fourth quarter, they revert back to this very tepid style. And it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with Shenander or the schemes. It has to do a lot mentally with how those guys are operating and trying to go about doing their job. 
it's, it's almost like an infielder or an outfielder in baseball kind of hoping that the ball isn't hit towards him. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it's, no, I think uh, that's exactly right. Yeah. Hopefully someone else makes the play because I don't know if I'm going to that kind of thing. I, yeah. I thought his assessment was really interesting. No, that sounds right to me. Also, it's not just the last drives. It's it's like third down. I mean, it's any time there's a situation in the game where Pressure. it's, okay, make a play here, and this, this game tilts a certain way. It's just not happening. And it's, it's really – this is where it's difficult because that's a hard thing to assess, like, how you fix that necessarily. Uh, that, that, that's something that goes beyond just like, oh yeah, well that's, you know, you can talk it out and, and figure you can get all these guys, lay them on the couch and, you know, work through it psychologically or something. It just doesn't work like that. It's, it's going to be, it's going to take just some really special kids who are either young in this program now, Wandale types or kids they're trying to recruit here over the next month or two. Uh, that are going to have to have that mentality where they, over time, they break through and they change that. And, and that's, you know, that's not going to be easy. No. Well, let's, uh, let's go from one program that has everyone feeling good to recruiting and to basketball next here on the 24-7 podcast. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Nebraska basketball played on Tuesday night. They actually did play a game. I was there. I saw it. Brian was there. Brunch was there. Everybody was there. Uh, Brunch, as you kind of look through and assess what happened on Tuesday, one, are you that surprised? Because I can honestly say that I am not. Uh, and two, it's going to get better than that, right? <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I could I could have seen a scenario where Nebraska struggled against UC Riverside. I I didn't see a scenario where Nebraska was losing by twenty in that game yeah, with a couple that, of minutes left fair. in the second half. You know, it's it it was one of those games where, you know, everything seems to be going really well from the jump. Nebraska's six of its first seven, then they go four of twenty two to finish out the half. And, you know, you, you really kind of dive into that, that stat sheet. Um, you know, Nebraska's 6 of 26 from three-point range, which you can't, you're not going to be able to do this year with this team and, and, and expect to win. Uh, UC Riverside was basically 
making everything they were looking at from three-point range in the second half. They finished 12 of 25 from three-point range. They out-rebound Nebraska by 20. Um, you know, Nebraska can't take advantage of 16 UC Riverside turnovers. And Nebraska itself, you know, didn't make free throws. The The transition pace that they had in the first few minutes of the game was pretty much gone. And, you know, we, we've talked about kind of the challenge of, of putting together this roster and creating chemistry with, you know, 11 guys that have never played together. And you, you saw that. I mean, when, when things started going bad for Nebraska, you saw things breaking down a little bit. The, the defense wasn't as good on the perimeter. Uh, guys were chasing a lot more. You didn't see uh, the spacing and the movement off the ball uh, on offense. Um, and, and you get into it, too, where, you know, Nebraska is going to be challenged for rebound all season. We know that it's going to be beaten to death. But, you know, part of that is also effort and energy. And when things aren't going your way, um, that's one of the things that falls off. And I, I think it was a combination of all that, um, you know, against UC Riverside, who I, I think is a better team that, than what they're predicted to be, although they were playing without a couple of their best players. And yes, it'll get better. Um, there's going to be nights like that the rest of the season. There's also going to be some times when Nebraska basketball is going to look really good, but Keep this in mind, uh, after last night, Ken Palm doesn't have Nebraska winning a game this season after December 29th, so uh, <laughs> there's also that. <laughs> I I was kind of trying to read Fred Hoiberg's body language after the game and the way he talked about it, and I think, I think that him and those assistants, I mean, Doc Sadler put out a tweet the day of the game about how patience, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, and I think he was... He was telling everybody something off the practices he saw. But I also sensed in the postgame from Hoiberg, uh, he was pretty surprised himself that it went that way. I, don't, I, I think he, uh, when they go back and look at that, it's, it's what Bruns is saying. It's, I know they had some big boys on that UC Riverside lineup, uh, but this was lost with hustle rebounds in a lot of cases. I mean, these, these were long rebounds and the guards for UC Riverside were, were getting to the ball quicker. And I think you saw the lack of Nebraska's length at play with how easy it was to get up outside shots for UC Riverside. And, and then just like, as Brunt said, lack of chemistry on the offensive end, it, it kind of looked like a rec ball type offense. And I'm not, I, I know that, uh, Hoiberg wants his guys to feel open about taking threes. Uh, but when you don't have the other parts to supplement that uh, and you aren't hitting from the outside, it's going to look really, really rugged. Yeah, I mean, I, you, you oh, see Riverside had a guy come off the bench in that game. He played 18 minutes, scored zero points, and grabbed 12 rebounds. Like, that, that's what kind of a night it was uh, for Nebraska. I mean, he, it, it was just tough sledding. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Schaefer. No, 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 you're good. I was just going to add, I think one of the things that was noticeable to me is that on offense, especially in the second half when Nebraska was trying to come back, it sort of felt like everybody was looking for someone to try to take over the game. And one of the things that's going to be interesting is this collection of players plays together is who sort of emerges as that like crunch time or alpha player on offense. And I would have thought it would have been Deshaun Burke and 
he sort of shied away from it at times. I mean, I know Kevin Cross wants it to be him, uh, but he's going to have to make a few more shots if that's going to be the case. So it, it was interesting because they all have kind of carte blanche to shoot, you know, in this offense, but they got very timid when they were struggling a little bit. And it felt like nobody really wanted to do anything. And that's certainly going to be something to watch in some of these early games. I mean, they're, they were 15 and a half point favorites, which I thought was absurdly high going into yesterday. Um, and then obviously played the way that they did. It'll be interesting with some of these other games. If some guys can kind of establish roles because there wasn't a whole lot. I, I don't know if you can take much from that game and say, well, this guy is going to give you this. And this guy is going to give you that because they really looked like you said, uh, like a pickup basketball game. And they had never played like they were the five guys that made free throws and they were playing together for the first time and just kind of figuring it out. And I think that is going to take more time than, you know, a trip to Italy ever was going to give. Them. I thought I, I thought Ivan was good last night in, in spurts. I think that's promising. Um, I was curious to see how he was going to hold up against a seven footer. Um it was interesting. You know, I I thought they actually got pretty good looks for the most part in the first half. I mean, Kevin Cross went one for ten, and a lot of those were wide open looks. Um, yeah. And and Fred Hoiberg said those are shots he's been hitting in practice. So I think he was at a little bit of a loss too. But uh, you know, I I, I think that your your point is correct about who's going to be the the, the kind of alpha dog. I, yeah, I I thought it was going to be Gervais Green going into the season, but uh, you know his line two for nine, two rebounds, five fouls, five points, two assists, and I think he had three turnovers. Um, you know, I I think it's it's got to be Green, Burke, or Mac. It really kind of has to be the the guy to make that thing go. And I guess I've been a little surprised uh, with, with Burke and Green through the exhibition and, and that first game, how it's really kind of looked a little sloppy for both those guys. I mean, it, yeah. you, you know, Burke's coming off the redshirt year. Green's just college basketball. But you kind of figured these first couple of games would be matchups that they could handle okay. I think those games are tough, too, because – you're, there's an expectation sort of in the arena that it's going to go a certain way. And then it did go that way for five and a half minutes, you know, where it was 14 to seven. And so I felt like there's this feeling within the arena, like, okay, yeah, it's just going to be one of these games where they kind of coast. And, you know, before you know it, it's kind of, you see Riverside's hanging around and then they make a little spurt and uh, they're ahead at the half. And you're like, okay, no big deal. Nebraska could still win this game by seven or eight. It'll be kind of an ugly opening win. And I think where it got tight was right off the bat. Nebraska gets the ball. Cam Mack drives in, misses a layup, which, by the way, they missed a ton of, like, it was typical Nebraska hoop style where no one could finish around the rim. Uh, He misses the layup, gets it back, actually misses another bunny, and then you see Riverside hits a three on the next possession, and you felt it like right there. It's like everybody kind of like put their antennas went up. It's like, oh man, they could lose this thing. And then you see Riverside just got hot, and before you knew it, it was game over. Yep. No, I, I'm, I'm with you guys. I, I really kind of wonder, you know, what the when it looks good. I guess is what I, I'm stumbling to get to. 
when it looks good, I'm curious what that's going to actually look like and then how long before we get to that point. Because even even that first, you know, five-minute stretch, I made that joke on Twitter, which turned out to be uh, maybe in poor taste. But they it wasn't like they were hitting threes. I mean, they were doing a nice job in transition and just outrunning uh, Riverside and then putting up layups and finding open shots inside the three-point line and then – that kind of the easy buckets evaporated. The threes never connected, and they were basically playing from behind the eight ball the rest of the game. But all right, we'll have plenty of time between now and March to get into Nebraska and Fred Hoiberg's first year. Let's get into a little bit of recruiting here. Nebraska missed out on linebacker Shea Bryant Strother, who decided to go with UCLA on Tuesday, made the commitment to the Bruins following a visit to UCLA over the weekend. Nebraska felt like they were in a pretty good spot going into last week, going into his visit with UCLA. And then obviously that visit went really well. Nebraska lost to Purdue and family was pretty much pushing UCLA before the visit. And I think everything added up uh, to, to where that kind of cemented itself afterwards. Nebraska finds itself in a really interesting spot. They need linebackers. They specifically need inside linebackers. And yet the guys that they've hosted, the guys that were on the top of their board, they haven't either been able to get the commitment from in terms of several of those guys, or they haven't been able to hold the commitment in terms of Rodney Gross. And as that has all gone along, the guys behind underneath on the board have committed elsewhere. And so they, they sort of are now at the mercy of they're going to look at some junior college players. They're going to try to flip some committed guys. They're going to go to senior film route. So the answer and the solution an inside linebacker, unless they you know strike gold with somebody here over the next couple months, likely isn't going to come until the 2021 class. I mean, I don't think you're going to get a real difference maker out of what they're going to try to commit here in the next six, seven weeks. So uh, I could be entirely wrong on that. I've been wrong on many other things, but it does seem like that's going to be a need that carries over. And other sort of recruiting news, Nebraska's offensive line situation, I think the numbers have changed there a little bit. I think they're very happy with the freshmen that they have that Nebraska fans haven't been able to see yet. Uh, and they linked that. They, they added to that class essentially with Ethan Piper and Brant Banks. And so because of that, you could just be in a situation where they're happy with Turner Corcoran, they're happy with Alex Kahn, and they might shut it down and try to use those numbers to find other difference makers elsewhere on the field, that being linebacker, uh, wide receiver. I don't know if I expect them to, to look at a running back yet because of Maurice Washington, uh, but I, I think that that extra offensive line spot, if it stays on the offensive side of the ball, could end up at, at wide receiver or even a, a pass-catching tight end. So those are kind of the things to watch. We've seen a number of junior college offers go out, and I'm curious what you guys think of that. For me, I always kind of hesitate when I see a team really push into the junior college ranks because it feels like you're trying to get a really quick solution to what you haven't been able to develop. And I just think that for every Levante, David, Randy, Gregory, there's a dozen guys that might help you a little bit but aren't going to be significantly better than likely what you have on your roster. So I'm always a little hesitant or a little concerned when I see a team go super hard into having to figure out uh, the answer through the junior college ranks. Yeah, it's the JUCO stuff's interesting to me. It, it, to me, it's always like, what time of year are you doing it? Um, you know, I, I think it's one thing if you, you know, you maybe target a guy 
Yeah, we're not talking Omar Manning in the same way we are talking about some of these guys Nebraska's picking or choosing right, right, right. in November. Right, yeah. I mean, this time of year, you, you, it definitely gives you pause. Um, I always kind of look, too, at, you know, what what's, uh, what who else is kind of diving in for guys? Um, you know, that that's always interesting to me, too, because if it's, if it's just, you know, one team, you're kind of like, all right, you know, may, maybe, all right. But if there's somebody that's, you know, basically like a sophomore film guy in junior college that's kind of blown up a little bit. I mean, maybe take your shot at him and, and, and you know, see. It's always tough, though, with those guys because you don't know. Fit's always an issue. Guys are in junior college for a reason, usually. I mean, it's I, I agree. You know, sometimes, you know, the, the quick fix um, doesn't end up being a fix and, and kind of creates more roster issues for you. So, you know, I, I think is if you do it at one or two positions, that's fine. But if you're really going hard at junior college guys in November, uh, that's uh, that's not a good sign. And the batting percentage hasn't been great yet so far for with the staff and the JUCOs. I mean, when you think about Mike Williams, Jerron Woodyard, uh, Will Honus, you know, he's out there playing and, and stuff like that. Dedrick Mills, I guess, is playing. Uh, you know, Bill Jackson. The, yeah, the cornerback who was here for like a a day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so uh, yeah, it's 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 very hit or miss. So you, you've got to do a lot of homework on those type of guys. Yeah, so you know that's kind of where they are recruiting. I know the Wisconsin weekend, Nebraska's targeting for that to be a big visit weekend for them. So. We'll, we'll see kind of what that list looks like. We know Deshaun Lynch. We know Darian Green Warren, L.V. Bunkley Shelton. So three four-stars right there. But they've got to convert some of these visitors into commitments or you're just essentially spinning your wheels. So as much as I wish that this was a more positive update to give people who are currently feeling bad after having listened to us discuss football and then basketball, this is what you get in recruiting. So it's just uh, it's tough sledding for Nebraska fans right now. A lot of negativity and a dog barking is what they got out of this, yeah. Which isn't entirely off of what the normal podcast is anyways. Yeah. Tori apologizes, by the way. Well, that's very nice. All right, Brunch, any final thoughts? Nope, I'm good. BC, any final thoughts? I am very good. All right, well, you heard it from those guys. They have nothing more to say to you, and I'm already tired of talking as it is. So, you can catch us on Husker 24-7. We'll be back with another podcast next week and the return of the Hypecast for the Wisconsin game, which also means the return of the third shift and probably discussing how much Jonathan Taylor runs for next Saturday. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.